Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a trailblazer in your family facing uncharted territories? Or if you're not a first gen, what is it that you and I can learn from these unique challenges? In today's episode, we are going to be talking to Giovanna Gonzalez. She is a first-gen Latina, and she's going to share with us her unique challenges and the key lessons she learned. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hempel, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Being first-gen is not a walk in the park. Even though there are many firsts to be celebrated, there's challenges and disadvantages in being the first in everything, like college or negotiating a higher pay or at an executive position or something like that, or investing. Because naturally, if you're first gen, the people before you, in other words, your parents, haven't had these experiences to be able to guide you along these uncharted waters. Our guest today, Giovanna Gonzalez, also known as Gigi, is definitely not a stranger to these challenges. And in this conversation, she gets real about the unique financial struggles first gens deal with. A little more about our guest today. Giovanna Gonzalez is a TikTok influencer. She is also known as a first-gen mentor, a financial educator who left a decade-long corporate career to teach young adults about finance. She was also named the top 25 creator by Fast Company in 2022 and has been featured in many places like the New York Times, the Business Cider, and others. When it comes to the first-gen experience, this was a no-brainer, and Giovanna is the person to learn from about this experience. Later, I do have a quick reminder for you, pero te contaré más tarde. For now, let's start the show. Bienvenida, Gigi. I'm thrilled to have you here and get to know you because I we've been connected for a little while now, and I'm just so thoroughly impressed with everything that you do. So welcome. Thank you so much, Jen, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, we've been connected for about two years now, I feel like on LinkedIn. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And before we get started, I want to know a little bit of some cheese my here. You yeah. shared with us that you are really scared of bees getting stung <laughs> by them. <laughs> but you haven't, you know, you haven't been stung yet. So I want to know about that fear because I'll, I'll tell you why in a little while after you yeah. share it's pretty embarrassing. I honestly feel like I have to get hypnotized because it's a visceral reaction that I have. Um, I just cannot see anything but fear when I see a bee. Um, and yeah, I've never been stung and people are like, this thing isn't actually that bad for you to have this reaction. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm 34 and I still knock on wood have not gotten stung and I just stay away from them whenever I can. <laughs> well, I have very, and I get you because I don't like bugs or I, at one time I was quote unquote attacked by a spider, but it was disguised as a cricket. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> to give you an idea. Of, I, yeah, I was definitely afraid. Uh, so I wanted to know because I feel you, like, I don't know what my, I just am very deathly afraid. Like, and also I have a very reaction of, I have boys. So, mm. and boys, they're, you know, 
my, at least my boys, they're very energetic. They're fearless. So there's cuts and scrapes when they were little. Mm -hmm. And I literally react to a little cut and scrape. Like it's, it's insane. So I don't know something. It's something in the mind that I can't control. No, I get you. I think we both need to go get hypnotized together. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That's funny. Now that we got that cheese out of the way. We want to get to know you, Gigi. So if you could take us back in time to maybe a time in your life where you experienced something, you observed something, you heard something that to this day has really shaped how you see, how you perceive money, how you manage money. So take us back. Yeah, I I can't think of a single moment that really shaped my experience with money with my family. Um, I'm fortunate that we didn't experience extreme poverty or anything like that. But I think there were a lot of micro moments that kind of affected me. And that recurring micro moment that kept happening, that I was always told no when it came to money, you know? So whether I asked for, you know, more money to be able to go on a school trip, you know, you'd go on school trips out of town and they'd give you a little allowance to spend money, you know? So I'd get like, I don't know, 20 bucks and that was it. And it wouldn't really go far. So if I'd ask for, hey, I really can't, this barely covers a little my lunch and a little bit more. It's like, no, we don't have more. Uh, one time I remember we <laughs> went to Chuck E. Cheese. We were like eight and seven, me and my brother. We'd always seen the commercials for Chuck E. Cheese on TV. So we wanted to go and, you know, go to the arcade, all that fun stuff. I remember we walked in with my family of four, my, my parents and my brother, and they saw the prices and they, we walked out. And I'm like, what happened? We were so excited because we're like, what happened? They're like, it's too expensive. We're leaving. You know, so that's just always been my experience just of like, no, and it's not going to be, even for the kids, there was no like, you know, extra sacrifice, which I'm kind of grateful because I know that a lot of people in my community, they feel very indebted to their mm-hmm. parents because they they truly, truly sacrificed. Where with my parents back then, it sucked. But now I'm glad that they didn't overgive to the point where it affected us financially. And so how, if you could take us, I think for sharing, because I had similar, I just heard of, we don't have the money. It was just, we didn't even get to the Chuck E. Cheese door. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It was just, I don't even know if it existed in my day. Anyways, I don't know how long it's been around. Side note, (laughs) with that experience, and if you think about today, Mm -hmm. how how Mm -hmm. has that translated today? Like, has that, have you found yourself in those moments where you think about that's too expensive, you know, when you go to make a decision and maybe are you also, are you feeling like you're sacrificing yourself a lot in terms of the decisions that you make and you're not spending money because of that mindset that was of the things that you heard? Or do you feel like you have a superado, you have really uh, overcome it? Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 No. So, I mean, it 100% affected my mindset around money in the workplace in the okay. sense that, you know, I had heard of this concept that you're supposed to negotiate. But again, when I grew up always being told no, when you ask for more money, I just didn't feel I was allowed to ask for more money at work. And um, I had that mentality a long time, a long time. And it wasn't until I just kind of educated myself by reading books on learning that actually, no, 
it's very common and expected that you negotiate your salary, that you ask for raises when you do a good job, that you have regular salary discussions with your boss. That was hard because I mean, it was instilled in like this little, I have this little picture of me as like a four-year-old for anybody that's seen the video. It was like instilled in that little girl that's just like, no, you don't ask for more money because we don't have it. I had to unlearn that. There was a lot of work to unlearn that. And then when it comes to my spending habits, I'd say that's still there (laughs) in the sense of um, I'm pretty frugal. I know some people, their problem is overspending. For me, yeah, it's definitely, I second guess, should I spend this? And I know, yeah, I know I have the money. And (laughs) and sometimes my husband's like, shakes me. He's like, you can afford it. You're fine. Or we can replace that. We can throw this. We can buy more. That's definitely still lingering. And so the time you mentioned that there was a time where you started educating yourself, right? In terms of like, when you were talking about negotiating for more money, did anything bring up that change where you're like, something needs to give? Uh, Tell us about that time. I, at the time in my 20s, I'm 34 now, I lived in San Diego, uh, so in Southern California, and it was just a very expensive city for a young woman with like no generational wealth <laughs> starting from nothing to kind of create a life for herself, uh, especially on these measly entry-level salaries that I was kind of working with. So for me, that was kind of like my motivation of like, hey, like I went to college to have an easier life. Yeah, I'm still scraping by. And a lot of it was of the high cost of living in San Diego, uh, but also me not asking for more and not being granted those those raises. So yeah, so that time came in my 20s when I'm like, something's got to give. Like, what am I missing? And I started reading more, you know, career advancement books or financial education books. Nice. Now, one of the things that you do is you mentor first gen. So tell me what, and there's different definitions when it comes to first generation. What does it mean to be a first gen Latina? I think depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer. But I think the way I interpret it and most of my social media community interprets it is the first in your family to really adopt both lifestyles. So that would be, you know, the, the culture and the values of your parents' home country but then also you're adopting to your life in, in America. So typically that's like the first born in America, born and raised in America, or sometimes they're children that came here very young. Maybe they weren't born in America, but their parents brought them here at five, yeah, five years old. So really the American way is what you know. You never really had experience uh, in your parents' home country. So that's what I typically consider first-generation Latina, the daughter of, of immigrant parents. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And what has been your biggest challenges as a first-gen Latina? Definitely um, lack of guidance, um, just because I'm the first in many spaces, the first to have gone to college, the first to have been working in a white-collar professional environment. Now I say like the first business owner uh, in a service-based business. You know, my dad's self-employed. He's a one-man show. He's He's been working for himself for tw- almost 20 years now. He rents party rental supplies. So like brincolinas, tables and chairs. Um, so even though he, he works for himself, it's, it's not the same. We don't run the same kind of business. So even all this, I have to kind of learn for myself. Very interesting. And I also want to ask like, so with your, that gives a good picture of what normally is 
are challenges for first gen Latinos, the first to go to college. So if they want to go to college, they don't know how to navigate the college system, the costs, right? Yeah. <laughs> FAFSA, all the yeah. good stuff. Uh, you mentioned the first to do being self-employed, but in your business model, that type of thing. Can you tell us what other are some other challenges that first gen Latinos face? Definitely like navigating money uh, with family or money at all. Just understanding how money works is not really something that's taught to us at home. It's not taught to us at school. So having to learn that on our own. But then for me, I had a lot of challenges uh, navigating family expectations of mm. what they expected financially from me. You know, I was very much seen as the one who quote unquote made it because I had gone to college, but they just didn't realize you know, the debt burden that I was carrying, like, sure, I was, I had the bigger income potential because I was making more money, but I also had, you know, $30,000 in student loans. I had $20,000 in the car debt. So even though I was on paper making more, I also had, you know, bigger expenses. So, so yeah, there were a lot of challenges with family when I was younger and kind of balancing what they expected from me and the finan the type of financial support that I wanted to, to give them, you know, but also while still taking care of myself and not forgetting about my own finances and getting myself into more debt or into more financial stress because I was helping family. And I'm sure it's not easy being first gen, especially with one, the ex expectations uh, or the responsibilities that you carry, whether because it's expected of you or because it's just the reality. You know, there's student loans, your, your parents never had to do that. You Maybe you, if you had, maybe as you apply for college, first gens don't know how to navigate the financial aspects, right? I remember when I went to college, I didn't realize that they were actually loans <laughs> because it was financial aid. Like to me, financial aid, you're aiding, you're helping someone. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. how I took it. I, I didn't have to, fortunately, I didn't have to take out student loans, but that's, I mean, it's it's just the reality. Like you don't know what you don't know. And like I said, I, my parents went to college and so I wasn't the first gen to go to college, but I still didn't understand. Like I said, like I said, financial aid is like, you help people. Like, why are you getting people into debt? You know? So that's how I made sense of it. And it, it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I can only imagine. And I'm sure the listeners right now that are in, you know, have found yourself and they're also first gen are probably nodding, nodding their heads on just everything that you're saying, what have you done to really overcome these challenges to be able to just successfully navigate these hurdles that you've had to deal with? Professionally, I really had to just kind of like understand the the unspoken rules of what was going to help me thrive in my career. Because uh, what I was taught at home was, you know, you work hard and your hard work gets recognized and then you'll get promoted that way. And I quickly learned that that's the easiest way to be ignored and overlooked in corporate America if you're not speaking up. So I read books. Uh, one of my favorite ones was The Memo by Minda Hartz. Have you read that one? It's a really good I one. I have not. Yeah, I love Minda Hartz as a person. She, I think she's on her fourth book and I really look up to her and her career trajectory. She's like a nationally recognized speaker and she's putting out a bunch of books and it's all about supporting women of color. So I, I love it. The other book I read was called Brag Better. Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office was the other one. And it's funny because that one, I read it and the first time it really turned me off. 
uh, and now reflecting, I wasn't ready to receive it because mm. then I read it a second time a couple years later and I'm like, wow, this is really good. I don't know why I didn't like it at first. So sometimes we read stuff and we're just not there yet. So, so that helped, you know, um, unfortunately I never had access to a mentor, which is pretty ironic because that's my whole brand, the first gen mentor and the value of mentorship. But I understood the value of mentorship from not having a mentor myself and just kind of having to figure it out. Um, the spaces I worked in were very white and male. So nobody really ever saw themselves in me and invested in my career advancement. Uh, so I was very much uh, overlooked. So the advice that I give to others now is to surround yourself with with community. You know, I really am a strong believer of people tapping into, you know, their employee resource groups, because those are little clubs in the workplace um, where you can get together with people that share similar backgrounds and similar struggles as you and, you know, support one another and find that mentorship, find that sponsorship, find that career guidance that's professionally. And then um, with money, you know, I really had to redefine my own money values because I mean, I inherited my parents' money values of how they handle money in Latin America. And I just learned that that is not how I want to build wealth in this country. You know, my family, they, they aren't where they want to be financially. You know, right now my my grandpa, he's having him some health issues and he needs round the clock care and they don't have money to provide that. You know, so I don't want that to be me. Um, I don't want money. You know, life is already stressful as it is with life's ups and downs, health issues, and money is the one thing that we can try to really be proactive with and plan for in advance. And I for me to be able to live a more financially secure life, I've had to unlearn a lot of what my parents instilled in me and that's giving money to family family at all costs. Um, so I've learned to develop and implement financial boundaries when I'm just like, hey, I want to support you, but I'm not available to support you in that way because it's going to take away from from my cup, you know, and there's been a lot of challenges with that. But um, it's what I've had to do to be able to make progress with my own financial situation. That's amazing. And I want to take back in terms of want to peel the layers back a little bit in terms of or just add some things. You mentioned mentorship, mentorship, which I think is really, really important, especially in our communities, because like you said, that maybe there there isn't anything, right? Or there's employee resource groups available for you. Or but if there isn't anything, create, I say create your own. How can you who can you reach out to? Who can you pull together uh, to really support each other? Because chances are if if you're not being supported, there's another person that's not being supported. And you can do you can do that together. I know I've seen it uh, with my husband being in the military, just him getting to people, other officers, uh, black officers in the career field, just together and just supporting each other and learning from each other and leveraging, which I think is powerful and yeah. think and what you're doing. And I think is just so important because if, you know, sometimes if you don't take, you know, take the prerogative yourself, it's no one's going to help you. Right. So I think just doing that. And I, I applaud what you're doing with mentoring others, because I think it's just so essential. And it's unfortunately doesn't exist uh, with communities as color. I think it's changing, don't you? But it still needs to grow a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's a great avenue. Yeah. To try to 
build something if it doesn't exist at your workplace. Unfortunately, I've gone down that route too, and I was just shot down. It was, I was just working at a company that was just not receptive to that. So if that doesn't work for you, instead of just getting discouraged, um, you can also look you know, for external organizations that already do that. And, um, yeah. I work with the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement. They have a lot of great programming to offer formal mentorships to Latino talent that needs it. Um, I'm also thinking of Lean In. I know they have their Lean In circles. So there's there's organizations, there's nonprofits out there, but you have to seek them out. Um, your alumni group might be a good one too that might have some formal mentorship options for you. Absolutely. And in terms of the finance side that you mentioned, you mentioned the expectations of family or, of, or you're having a family member that is sick and then there's no money, you know, there's who's going to take care of the abuelo or the abuela that those those are real conversations <laughs> and you said taking i think i don't know if it was in these words but essentially you said you just taking responsibility and really taking control of your money will go a long way is it going to solve the problem not absolutely right. <laughs> but it's going to help and having the, especially in our communities that family is just everything. And that's not to say family's not everything in other communities. I say that and then I find myself, well, family's important to everyone. It's just different in our culture. Of course. And I think just having those, we, we need to have more of those family money conversations. So we don't have the, we don't make those assumptions of like, who wants to do what if el, you know, el papa o la mamá, you know, you know, se enferma, they get sick, right? We have to have those conversations and really know who's thinking what. We can't assume what others are thinking. So I think it's great that you've ha had those set those boundaries and you're also really speaking up and saying, hey, I have to take care of myself, right? First, yeah, I have to take it because if not, I have seen it with my own eyes with family members where they, they help others and then get into financial binds themselves. And right. that's not helping anybody at all. Yeah, I love the saying, like, you can't pour out of an empty cup, right? No, absolutely can't. Now, let's talk about a little more about finance here. With first-gen Latinas, because that is who you serve, what, uh, in your experience, has been the top areas of personal finance that has been a struggle for these um, first-gens? Yeah, I would say based on the content that I put out and the questions I get, I think there's a lot of confusion about about how to get started investing. I think a lot mm -hmm. of um, young Latinas have heard of this notion of investing in the stock market, but it seems really scary or you don't know where to start. You don't want to do it wrong and, and lose money. So um, I love to kind of demystify that and encourage women to to learn more. And and I help them understand that investing is, is for everybody. It's not just for the rich. And then another area I'd say would be in developing strong spending habits and becoming an intentional spender. That took me a lot of unlearning too. I actually just had to submit some questions for an article earlier saying, you know, what are some things that you used to spend money on that you don't anymore now that you understand how money works? And for me, one of those areas was on, on Christmas gifts. You know, I grew up seeing family constantly overspend and get themselves into debt to have these fabulous Christmases that we really couldn't afford. You know, we're like, you got a gift, you got a gift, everybody got a gift. Um, we like to celebrate. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's great. There's nothing wrong with, with celebration, but it always has to be within your means and you know, not something that's going to negatively impact you later. So I've had to kind of, again, redefine those money values of like, okay, family is important to me, but I don't need to be getting myself into a thousand dollars of credit card debt to buy everybody Christmas presents. So I really cut back the list of the people that do receive gifts from me and everybody else will receive a Merry Christmas text or a Merry <laughs> Christmas hug. Um, right. And yeah, that took some adjusting to kind of like unlearning those those what I like to call them like toxic money habits <laughs> because I call them toxic because they hurt our ability to build wealth. Another one is you know like these extravagant parties. You know my my little my god niece. You know she just turned four and and my sister goes all the way out. You know with like the the nice balloons that they do. You know they kind of do like um. Yep these arrangements, these balloons and several dessert tables. It's just, and me as a money person, I'm like, how much did this cost? You know, and knowing that they don't have a 529 plan for the girl, knowing, you know, they, they haven't thought that far ahead. So um, again, I'm all in the camp of like, let's celebrate these happy moments because, you know, life isn't just about paying bills and dying, but let's do it in a way where we still take care of our future, you know? So, so those are all things that I kind of had to become aware of and, and learn to do better. So I think in our culture, there's too much like focus on the present and not enough on the future. And again, it's about finding that balance where you can still celebrate the present and the happy moments and the milestones and the birthdays, but still having something for tomorrow because then tomorrow happens and then you're caught with your pants down. <laughs> and that's what's happening right now in my family with my grandpa where they can't mm. afford to hire help and all that stuff. I hear you. We're, we're going through some similar things with caregiving and, and figuring that out. And it's unfortunately, there's like you said, it, you're the one that it, you're looked up on because mm. you're the one, quote unquote, that's reached, you know, I don't know whether gone to college, has the most, you know, potential with the career and all that stuff. That's like what we're looked up on. And, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I feel you because we're going through a similar thing. Now, another thing that you do that I totally love is that you put an emphasis on culturally relevant financial education. What has, and I think that's important because it's a way, it's the best way to be able to connect, right, to that culture, in our case, our Latino culture, because you can't be talking about money and talk about American culture and expect the Latino to really connect and really pay attention. They may pay attention, but <laughs> culturally relevant <laughs> education is a lot better. So what has been your favorite way to provide this to the first gens that you serve? Yeah, so I like to focus on money issues that affect us specifically, you know, because we all could benefit from learning how to budget. How, from learning how to pay off debt. But, you know, and these are all things that I had learned from traditional uh, money books that were already existing and out there. Um, but those books, you know, there was a big gap in like, okay, well, what if my parents rely on me for their retirement, you know, for medical costs and retirement? How can I help plan for that? How can I have money discussions about that? So it's, um, these conversations are a big focus of, of my upcoming book is called Cultura and Cash because yeah, all this was missing when I, you know, I read over 50 personal finance books. So I really thought that I had all my bases covered. <laughs> But then when I went into the real world, I saw there was still that gap missing. So um, yeah, I like to talk about how to help your parents prepare for retirement, how to have those discussions. And, you know, it's, it's hard because a lot of us, you know, we, we don't normalize money conversations and a lot of parents, you know, they kind of may find it insulting to bring up money. So I say it's not just one conversation and done, it's several conversations over time. And then also, you know, planning to factor in financial support into your budget, you know, having a line item like how you would for any other bills 
bills, if you're providing a monthly allowance to family, if you want to be available to support them should a financial emergency come up instead of digging into your personal emergency fund, create one that's just for your family so that it doesn't derail your financial goals. So, um, and, and when those things don't work and when you don't have the financial ability to help learn how to set those financial boundaries, which, you know, boundaries in general are just so foreign in our culture because we're so enmeshed that it's kind of seen like as a betrayal. Like, how dare you say no? Or how dare you put a limit to, to what family's asking? You show up for family no matter what. Right. And that's something that I just really empower my community and my reader, you know, that although, you know, uh, we are Latinos and we have these Latino money values, we're also American. So that means that there's both at play. We're bicultural, you know, so both cultures kind of clash and we kind of have to find that middle ground that works for us. And that was a journey for me. <laughs> it was a journey to, to find what worked. But after years of struggle, I finally found the what works for me and, and allows me to support my family when I'm able to and when I want to, but also take care of my, my future. Fantastic. Well, Gigi, it's been so much fun having you. Is there anything that you want to leave us with before we wrap? up this conversation. Yeah, just for anybody listening to this podcast, like I applaud you because this is how I learned how money worked by immersing myself in the language of money. So I personally like to read books. So I read a bunch of books, listen to podcasts like you're listening to now so that these money conversations are always kind of going in your head. I also got a lot of value from joining Facebook groups. I don't know if Facebook groups are cool anymore, <laughs> but a couple of years ago, and I still actually am in them every now and then, and, but it's good because you're surrounded by like-minded community. Um, that's in similar place in their financial journey. And you're asking each other questions, learning about each other, um, learning uh, about what the other person's doing and how you can kind of implement their advice. So this is, is important, you know, to for you to really immerse yourself. Because like I said, you know, we don't grow up learning this stuff. So it's really important that we are proactive with our financial education to do better. Thank you, Gigi. It's been so such a pleasure having you and having this conversation. I'm really, really excited for your book to come out. So we'll definitely be sharing it here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Jen. In today's conversation, Gigi got really candid about the unique financial struggles of first-gen Latinas. And she told us about her story. And a common theme is lacking that financial guidance while facing at the same time expectations to support the family. So that is a struggle in itself. She expresses how this combination often leads to toxic money habits like overspending, which can in turn sabotage your long-term financial goals. Another key takeaway was learning to set firm yet compassionate financial boundaries with family to ensure your own financial health. The other key takeaway was the importance of surrounding yourself with community and really being proactive in your financial education to help you overcome those financial challenges, those unique financial challenges that first-gen Latinas disproportionately encounter. If you enjoyed this conversation with Gigi, make sure you connect with her at thefirstgenmentor.com. We will link that up in the show notes. And while you're at it and while you're connecting, make sure that you stay in the loop, stay in the know for her upcoming book, Cultura and Cash. I just want to quickly remind you to join us on November 1st for Financially Strong Latina. Make sure you get all the details. That link is in the show notes. 
As for next week, if you want to be in a more fulfilling marriage and make sure you are on the same page about money with your partner, join us for this conversation with relationship coach, Karina Daves. Bueno, pues that is everything. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 369. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash 369. Remember that being the reina of your money simply starts by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.